0: Welcome to the Mad in America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry and social justice. Hello, this is James, and welcome to episode 47 of the Mad in America podcast. And this week, we catch up on events in the UK with the Royal College of Psychiatrists. On August 17th, a group of 30 academics, psychiatrists and people with lived experience wrote to the president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists to question the college's participation in a government-led review of prescribed medications which may result in dependence. Later in the podcast, we'll hear from psychiatrist Dr. Peter Gordon and campaigner Stevie Lewis. And both Peter and Stevie are people who, like me, have experienced withdrawal effects from antidepressant drugs. But first, we speak to lead author of the letter, psychiatrist Professor Sammy Timimi. Sammy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today for the Mad in America podcast. And today is quite an interesting day because you're the lead author of a letter that has been sent to the president of the UK Royal College of Psychiatrists. And the letter is sent on behalf of a group of 30 academics, psychiatrists and people like myself who have lived experience. So firstly, I wondered if you could tell us a little about the issues raised in this letter.
1: Well, thank you for um, inviting me to speak on this issue. Because I think it's a very important issue and reflective of some deeper concerns that uh, I and many other of my fellow psychiatrist colleagues have about what's been happening in our Royal College of Psychiatrists. So this letter is in relation to a review that's been commissioned by the Parliament that's commissioned Public Health England to set up a a working body to review the evidence for dependence on and withdrawal from various prescribed medicines. So this um, invitation to set up this review was launched uh, earlier this year and um, in the scope of the review is particular medications have been highlighted. These are things like um, benzodiazepines, uh, opioid pain medications and the sorts of medicines that we use to treat uh, anxiety, insomnia, and depression. So this includes things like what have been called antidepressants. So the Royal College of Psychiatrists were invited to um, put forward a representative to join this um, review. And the person that they've put forward is a uh, Professor David Baldwin, Uh, Professor David Baldwin is uh, somebody who is also head of the psychopharmacology committee at the Royal College, um, which is uh, psychopharmacology is the committee that um, issues guidance and um, thoughts on behalf of the college about um, uh, issues to do with the prescribing of psychiatric drugs. Uh, So if you go onto the website uh, for this review and look at the Declaration of Interests by the different members who are on this body, you will see that uh, Professor Baldwin, in his uh, declaration, says that he has received honoraria, this is payments, Mm -hmm. from uh, I think it's 12 different pharmaceutical companies that he also um, is employed and writes reports for uh, uh, the advisory boards of five of these pharmaceutical companies and he's also in receipt of research from uh, 12 pharmaceutical uh, money to to conduct studies from 12 uh, pharmaceutical um, industries Uh, so uh, this is what we have uh, written about. Um, We don't think it is appropriate for uh, Professor Baldwin, with all these deep ties to pharmaceutical industries, deep financial ties, um, to be on a committee that's meant to be reviewing problems that people may experience with withdrawing and um, discontinuing from... These drugs. Many of the one of these drugs, for example, one one of the class of drugs that they're going to look at, for example, is um, the so-called antidepressant drugs. Um, and David Baldwin himself has stated uh, very recently, in a uh, earlier this year, in a publication in the. mainstream press in a press release that was covered by a number of papers that um, in his opinion and he's not put forward any evidence to back this opinion that uh, people don't have uh, problems withdrawing from antidepressants and the vast majority can withdraw from them without any problems and if there are any symptoms they'll probably take no longer than two weeks So this is the sort of person that we have. That sort of opinion seems to support um, the idea of continuing to prescribe these medications uh, without warning people of the possibility of um, experiencing withdrawal symptoms that may be severe and may be long-lasting prior to them starting on these medications, which clearly have given his... um, vested interests financial interests in dealing with so many different Manufacturers of these types of medication. So it would seem that he would have a financial self-interest in not alerting people as to the possibility that They may experience withdrawal symptoms because this might affect the profit the bottom line mm. So this is the issue that we're trying to draw um, attention to which is why we've written this uh, latest letter to the President of the Royal College to say that in our opinion this uh, th- this um, person really should not be on um, uh, a representative uh, working on such a committee because of his um, deep Conflicts of interest.
0: Absolutely, and I certainly hope that this review of prescribed drug dependence would be open and transparent and honest. And I can see how hidden influences playing into that review could be problematic for any decisions made. And Sammy, I wanted to ask more broadly why conflicts of interest could potentially be a problem in healthcare and particularly psychiatry.
1: It has been acknowledged now for a good 10 to 15 years that there is a real problem in the way evidence gets manipulated by uh, companies who manufacture certain medicines um, because for them, their main interest is not whether their drugs work, but is convincing people that their drugs are safe and effective because their bottom line is making profit. So we have known for a long time with various types of studies that have found that the conflict of interest issue when uh, drug companies sponsor research or sponsor educational events or are involved in producing guidelines or have people on their pay who are involved in producing guidelines, that they produce guidelines and recommendations that favor the drugs that their manufacturers are supporting. The drug companies wouldn't do this type of um, paying if it didn't pay them to get people like Professor Baldwin on their advisory boards to get them uh, to sponsor studies with them um, and uh, so on. So the the issue of the um, conflict of interest has led to all sorts of murky things happening including the recommendation uh, that certain drugs that are then later proven to be ineffective and unsafe or um, potentially uh, addictive and with all sorts of severe consequences that come from taking them long term that uh, these things are, are, are much more likely to happen when there are vested interests and financial incentives um, involved. So we know that this leads to bad practice in medicine and it's really quite shocking that uh, um, given the many years now that we've understood this, the Royal College of Psychiatrists are still sending people with such enormous conflicts of interests to bodies like this and um, given the expressed views that he has already made public um, I have no confidence whatsoever that um, he will be able to take an objective view of the evidence Mm. and that um, as a result I am very concerned about the undue influence of somebody who comes from what is often considered a, a highly esteemed professional body, to uh, what what the consequences might be if his opinions uh, carry weight in this um, review that's been uh, set
0: up. And so, Sami, what is it that the group of thirty are requesting to be done to resolve this issue?
1: Well, the main thing to resolve the issue would be to withdraw um, Professor. Baldwin as a representative for the Royal College and replace him with a psychiatrist who does not have these conflicts of interest and who has no vested financial interests. It makes sense for them to do that. It would make sense because it would improve transparency and objectivity. Um, and it would be helpful because it, uh, for the uh, not, not just for the objectivity of this um, uh, review that's being conducted, but also for the Royal College itself, because it would show that the Royal College is prepared to take seriously the issue of conflict of interest, which we know has had a. Really negative and damaging and distorting effect on practice, but also on the reputation of medicine and on the reputation of psychiatry in particular. And it does make me worried that if they're not going to act on this, uh, just how deep this corruption of the Royal College um, goes. I think at, at heart. We are also dealing here with a potential problem of deep-rooted institutional corruption with um, the professional body that's meant to represent my profession being so enmeshed now with the interests of the pharmaceutical industry that it's very hard to say these days that the training and guidance and representation that comes from the Royal College could be thought of as free, fair, and objective.
0: Well, I wanted to thank you, Sammy, for taking this stand with your colleagues because I personally have an interest in this government-led review of prescribed drug dependence and I really want to believe in the process and that the conclusions reached are honest and evidence-based and not unduly influenced by external interests. So I'm really pleased that this issue was spotted and is being challenged.
1: Yes, I, I hope we manage to get somewhere with this. Of course, it does come hot on the heels of um previous complaints around the sort of things that have been put forward in the national media which have not been evidence based and have not been supported, and that have also previously included um professor baldwin so whilst they are connected you know, this one is is another and um separate and it's another worrying sign about uh, as I was saying the levels of institutional corruption that is going on in the Royal College at the moment. I do hope they can put their house in order.
0: Me too. Thank you, Sammy. Next, we hear from another signatory to the letter, Dr. Peter Gordon. And Peter himself is a psychiatrist who practices in Scotland in the UK. And he's also someone who has experienced both taking and withdrawing from antidepressant drugs. Peter, thank you so much for talking with me today for the podcast. And you're a signatory to the letter that has gone to the Royal College today. And really the thrust of the letter is the concern and worry about conflicts of interest. And I know that this is an area that you have an interest in and have campaigned on and spent time delving into. So I wondered if you could share with us why conflicts of interest should be examined.
2: Yeah. Thank you, James. And uh, it's uh, my interest in conflicts of interest really stems from my interest in ethics. And perhaps for, for the first psychiatrist I worked with, he advised me um, to try and that science strives to be objective and that we need to try and and limit potential biases. Now, that's almost an impossible task. But we do know there is repeated evidence that um, if somebody is has received financial payments, that the advice that they give is affected by that. Mm-hmm. And there's further evidence to show that, that in the case of healthcare workers or doctors is that the advi- they may give advice that uh, ultimately mm-hmm. it brings about um, the prescribing of, of a medication that is less good for you rather than better for you because mm-hmm. the information is, at some point, is, uh, 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 the, 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 this divide between marketing and education is, can be very easily blurred. And a lot of my colleagues, I think, seem to believe that we are able or have a, an ability as well-trained doctors and scientists to separate out marketing from the search for objectivity. Mm. However, it's not the, nobody has, uh, the evidence shows that we, we don't have that special mm. ability.
0: And Peter, I know that you've previously addressed this with past presidents of the Royal College. So... What's been their response to your pointing out this lack of transparency about pharmaceutical money within psychiatry?
2: Yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a long journey, and um, I've probably been labelled as a, as an undesirable for it in my college, and I, I I'm not expecting awards soon, and even if I was, I wouldn't 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 want it, and that's not why I do this. I do it because I'm passionate about trying to improve lives and i and our our, our oath is to, to 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 above all first do no harm mm. and it doesn't mean that medications are wrong but it does mean that the, the current paradigm of evidence based medicine i'm subscribed to evidence based um, approaches but we must remember that a lot of the evidence is still has to be taken within context and a lot of the evidence that's provided is for short term treatments And we shouldn't extrapolate that to longer term treatments. And this is why it's so important to listen to anybody's experience of any medication, whether it's good, bad or in between. And I I, I find it particularly upsetting for, um, you know, our past president to talk about pill shaming with with people who've had bad experiences of of any of of psychiatric medications, not pill shaming. And we're not uh, Nobody's saying that those people have good experiences. That's that we're not nobody's. um, making derogatory comments about that. We're simply saying, well, look, there are people that have had bad experiences and particularly with long term treatments. But yeah, my communications with college go back many years. Um the previous president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists was helpful um, and did promise to put in a a new system because before that there was there was absolutely nothing online about declarations of interest. The only times you could find out about it were if you were an a- attendee at a meeting, i.e. a doctor, mm. and then you you might be lucky if they flashed up a slide for a few seconds. So as a result of many communications by me with, with the past president, the system was changed, but I wasn't involved with that system, and the system in place, I'm afraid, is not good. Um, you, I would ask a member of the public just to try and search from the Royal College of Psychiatrists site and find their a particular doctor, and see what they can find. They will find it extremely difficult, and the amount of information they will find will be very limited. So it's it's, it's a really very poor system. So we we're kind of back, and yet we can't rely on anywhere else to find reliably information about vested interests. Yeah, financial vested interests in people who may educate healthcare professionals and people involved in research and psychiatry in the UK. It's just not possible. There's a voluntary database that was set up by the, one of the associations of the pharmaceutical industry, the ABPI, that's called Disclosure UK. Mm. And that's a good development. But the problem is, it's, it's an absolute partial register because a lot of the people perhaps, and the, the argument is, and it seems to be the case, that many of those who are very heavily paid just don't declare because they don't have to so um, so you could look up some of the current people in the who are eminent Royal College of Psychiatrists. Indeed, the Psychopharmacology Committee of the Royal College of Psychiatrists has, co- has concerned me for a long time. Not because the people are dishonourable, of course not. And there's nothing wrong in receiving payments, but it's the lack of transparency about their financial interests. And it very much seems to go back to this idea of the law of the few, that a few people um, and are in very influential people Positions like in the Royal College of, uh, like the Psychopharmacology Committee of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, like the British Association of Psychopharmacology. Now, the financial interests involved in that um, association are really very significant, but it's impossible to determine accurately how much. But it could be very, it could be a significant portion of the forty-two million that goes to UK healthcare workers and academics from the pharmaceutical each year, not for research but for promoting their products. And we just don't know. And my psychiatrist colleagues, many of them come to me and say, the place to go for your education is the British Association of Psychopharmacology and the British Association of Psychopharmacology and the Royal College of uh, Psychiatrists Psychopharmacology Committee. Sorry, it's a very uh, complicated. But these two committees, in my opinion, are certainly merged as one. Yeah. And and in my opinion, they've resisted um resisted open transparency. To be fair, again, I had a long communication over many years with the the British Association of Psychopharmacology, BAP for short. Um and as a result, I believe as a result of my campaigning that was never said, they did eventually put up declarations online. So we have a bit better idea yeah. of who who may be paid by which companies, but we have no idea of the scale of it. So, for example, last year there was a, there's a new antipsychotic come along and um, it was being promoted in the UK, and an American um academic came over and spoke at um for at the at a BAP meeting for psychiatrists in the UK, supported by the Royal College of Psychiatrists, chaired by one of the members of the Royal College of Psychiatrists' psychopharmacology committee. And we know because this academic was from America, that in the previous 18 months, he had been paid $3 million from two pharmaceutical companies, one of which was involved in this new drug. Mm. So what the, the question that begs is, could that be happening in the UK? Well, it could be. I'm not accusing anybody. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong to receive money. But surely, as a patient, you would want to know if your doctor had received $3 million or a significant amount of that for the new drug that they were promoting. Mm. So that's kind of my backdrop to this. And, uh, and um, I really would urge the, all the royal colleges to, to take a lead here. We need, you know, transparency is not the whole thing. And there are other biases in, in science mm. and healthcare. But let us start with financial. We know the financial biases affect our politicians, and we've asked them to improve their their transparency on this. I think we should do it for the doctors um, and healthcare workers and the science in general. Um, and it's, it's not a new thing. I was reading, um, there's a book, a very old book by C.P. People have heard of the title, Corridors of Power by C.P. Snow. Mm. And it was written in the 1950s. And there's a chapter five in it is called Scientists. And at one point he says, in the long run, big business with the scientists usually won. And he was talking about the corridors of power within institutions uh, like Royal College of Psychiatrists, like BAP, um, like um, civil servants. And so these things are difficult to change. But I think if we understand that the, the potential for harm by distorting science, um, even if unconsciously, is, is, is very significant, I think we need to change. And I would like to see the colleges take a lead here.
0: And in an ideal world, Peter, what would the colleges do differently to resolve this issue?
2: They could do one very simple thing, and so could the General Medical Council. They could say that they support sunshine legislation so that we have it in statute, like other countries like France and America, where nobody, uh, people who are receiving payments from industry, competing payments, um, have to declare them. They have no option. And then they go on a single central register. And that's not the whole thing, but then at least it would allow us, for for example, The the current complaint about Professor David Baldwin, he's one of a few people, very senior people involved in educating about psychiatric prescribing in the UK, who seem to have extensive lifelong ties with the pharmaceutical industry. Then we can able to look up their careers and we get a full database of, of their interests. And then I think that at least then somebody can make a judgment about this. Because um, I I was interested to learn that Professor David Baldwin on one of his online CVs says that he for six years was one of the leads for the defeat depression campaign. And uh, I was I remember this vividly because I was a young psychiatrist at the time. And we were told that we shouldn't miss cases of depression, that there was a chemical imbalance in brain. There was no two doubts about that. That's what we were told. And so prescribing rates went up after that. But it then became clear that the defeat depression campaign, as the chief, ex- the former chief executive of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, Vanessa Cameron, has admitted, was primarily, and well, was primarily underwritten by the pharmaceutical industry. It's for me, it's really concerning. This is nothing against David Baldwin. But given that career and the potential harm and involvement in the defeat depression campaign that was pharmaceutically sponsored, he should not be on this public health uh, uh, England review into uh, prescribed drug dependence and withdrawal. That's my opinion. Um, And that's why I was happy to sign the letter.
0: Well, I wanted to thank you, Peter, because these kinds of issues can easily go unnoticed, and we 're looking at a review that we want to be as transparent and evidence based as possible so thank you to you and your colleagues for standing up on this
2: oh no it's um no i, 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 I it's it's really I, I i think um there's a few doctors that talk about this whole idea that evidence we shouldn't diminish the evidence of experts expertise evidence is important, but there's also evidence and experience, and I think and we've lost, kind of lost sight of that. And I think things are beginning to change, thank goodness, with the good folk like yourself who are just saying, look, this is my experience. And actually, there isn't research to support your statements that, for example, um, withdrawal lasts only two weeks. There is no research to support that. And actually, there's almost no research while we're on this subject to support long term prescribing of antidepressants. There's one widely cited paper by Geddes, which is, a, 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 I think it's something like 13 years ago, it was 2005, but that was really limited to two years. And even within that paper, there was comment made about perhaps those people who were had inverted commas recurrent depression were actually um, it was a response to withdrawing from their medication that might be a factor in triggering the mood. And that was certainly the case for me with peroxidine, I've no doubt about it, and the harm that I've suffered and many other people I see. And I keep seeing in practice that it's only when you ask patients about this. That they'll maybe they'll maybe speak up about it and even amongst nursing colleagues and other professional colleagues some people sometimes come forward and say oh, i'm glad you said that doctor. i didn't want to say it because you feel trapped you feel that if you say something that this is the medication that people won't believe you and I, i've certainly experienced that you know it's funny that um, there's this great debate about whether um, I, I believe that diagnosis is important but you the power to diagnose is is a is a very big power and I kind of agree with Iona Heath that a psychiatric diagnosis, by and large, would be best written in pencil. Mm. So they're not entirely fixed. And that we remember that with, the, that with diagnosis comes good and bad. And no diagnosis can capture everything. And I think my slight concern is that I've seen people, when I've said, tried to explain my experience, I found that I've been labelled again. Mm. I found that, you know, those people who are saying that labels are important, then label me again in a negative way. And these mm. are the same people that are trying to tell me about stigma something's wrong there so i think i i think you're i think the, the prescribed harm group is really important because my view is that there is a role for psychiatric medications but i would like to keep them as short term as possible and as long as we tell people what we know and what we don't know about them and also the potential biases not just financial but i think we we're taking one big experiment in prescribing drugs in the long term and we don't know it and many people were like myself, would prescribe them with no idea that we would end up taking. How many, if, if we're talking about true, sorry, straight off point, James, but if we're talking about fully informed consent, how many people who were started on antidepressants, one, roughly one in six in the UK, if we average it out, how many of them were told that they might be taking them indefinitely lifelong? Mm. I bet very, very few. Yeah, as far as I am aware, nobody studied this. So I think we need to change our approach to informed consent as well. Um, and and we can and I think unless we tackle the one of the big one of the big power drivers of overmedicalization, and that's the pharmaceutical industry and money, unless we tackle that we're not going to make inroads. So we need the colleges to support sunshine legislation. This is going to take a while. I realise that, but up until now they've all been resistant to do it. But those if we, if we've really got ethical leaders, people like our current president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists and the president of the Royal College of GPs, they should be up now saying. We support sunshine legislation. Let's introduce it. Have a single central independent register. It'll be cheaper, simpler to, to run. And then patients and professionals can look up. And so when I'm going to a meeting, if you go to an educational meeting as a doctor, you've got no idea really how much that person might have been paid uh, throughout the last three years. You've no way of turning. So I can go to meetings and say, ah, well, Dr. X or Academic Z was paid whatever." I think um, I'm just going to avoid that educational meeting. I, don't, I generally don't think there's is generally that psychiatrists are bad people or there's, or there's bad intent. but I think it's more about this group culture, this group mentality nobody wants to consider that we might because co- that any intervention might cause harm, not just medications. but surely the very basis of science is you, you if you do an intervention you've got to look for improvement or harm or, and, or somewhere in between. So nobody should feel threatened by this. But I I found that group behaviour, it does feel threatened because they don't want those values that are so important to them to be questioned. And I think we're in exactly that position with UK psychiatry just now. And I think I think they're entrenched and I I would urge them to change their approach. I really would. Um, And I'm I'm hopeful because I think um, our current president is a a very honourable person and is trying to reach out. And I just hope that she might support Sunshine legislation and make it happen, along with the Royal College of GPs. And Royal College of Physicians and the Royal Society of Medicine, whose approach to transparency is absolutely very is rubbish. <laughs> it's just rubbish. There isn't they don't have anything. They don't even have a policy on it.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today, Peter. Finally today we hear from campaigner Stevie Lewis. Stevie has herself experienced withdrawal from antidepressant drugs and has put a great deal of time and effort into raising awareness of the issues that many people face in dealing with the adverse effects and prolonged difficulties that can sometimes persist long after the drugs have been stopped. Stevie, welcome. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. And you and I are both signatories to this latest letter, so I wanted to ask why it is you feel so strongly about being represented on this complaint.
3: Well, the reason that I feel strongly about it is um, the level of concern that I have in finding out that um, this particular um, professor, David Baldwin, um, is uh, part of the Public Health England's Review of Prescribed Medicine. Mm. And that he has declared, he has declared his conflicts of interest so that we know that he is someone who um, has been heavily funded and sponsored uh, by pharmaceutical companies. Um, And one of the things that I'm very aware of, and I think we all are aware of really, is how how powerful advertising and sponsorship is um, in our society. Mm. Uh, and, you know, this started up way back, maybe, maybe in the 19th century, when people were selling their pear soap, and you saw posters all over the place, and TV and radio became commercial in the 20th century, and designer brands and the concern about advertising to children in the 21st century. We know that advertising and sponsorship works. It's been proven over and over again that human beings are consciously and subconsciously influenced. And what I struggle with is the idea that when somebody goes to university to read medicine, that this susceptibility to influence um, is removed from them. And they become cold, hard, impersonal, calculating, scientific animals who are completely objective in the way in which they um, pass information through to us, the patients, from from the drug companies and the drugs that they decide to prescribe to us. And I feel that this can't be true, that this cannot be true, um, that they are just as susceptible to um, the influence of um, sponsorship and advertising as the rest of us are. And I might not have a medical degree, but I do have a postgraduate qualification in marketing. So I know it can't be true, uh, but they're completely objective. So it seems to me that the way that the medical profession tries to get around this is to say, okay, well, we'll be transparent. I'll list where my sponsorship comes from. Uh, and that makes it all okay. Um, but it doesn't, but it doesn't for me. And, and I feel that there's a really quite, strong irony here that we're talking about psychiatry we're talking about psychiatrists who are supposed to understand how the mind works so feeding that into my thoughts about this public health review Mm. is that it's so important to me this review is so important that it's been recognized in england that prescribed medication can cause dependence and withdrawal Mm and that there's actually money being put into looking at this. And for me, it's so very, very important that all the people who are on that review can hold two truths in their minds at once, that they can believe that drugs, and particularly antidepressants, because that's um, where I have um, a particular interest, um, that antidepressants can help people. And that they can also believe that antidepressants can hurt people Mm. and that they're able to look objectively at both those things and recognize that antidepressants can hurt people and go, okay, then both those things can be true. What can we do about helping the people that they have hurt and what do we need to put in place in our guidelines and in our systems to minimize that bad damage being done to people?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And similarly to you, I do have high hopes for the PHE review. And I was particularly pleased to see that antidepressants are included in a review of prescribed drugs that can result in dependence. But recent events in the letter have led to a worry that pharmaceuticals could influence this process via the back door, And that might not be an opportunity that people who have been harmed by the drugs have in this process.
3: Well, indeed. And we can see that Professor Baldwin has already made his own personal views known because very shortly after the announcement of the review, he wrote a letter to The Times saying that antidepressant withdrawal is generally about two weeks and is self-limiting. And there are many, many of us out there who know and have experienced something completely different from that, so far different from that that it's almost, you know, it's almost occurred in a different universe. So I really feel that someone needs to look again um, from the Royal College of Psychiatry at what he brings to the party here and if he is and can possibly be genuinely objective and is really going to help us mm. or is going to hinder the process mm. by influence that he will undoubtedly have, um, have come under.
0: And also, Stevie, there's a link here, isn't there, between the Public Health England review and efforts in Wales that have been kicked off by you to raise awareness of dependence and withdrawal at a government level. So I wondered if you could tell us a little about that.
3: Yes, certainly. Well, I started the public petition last year, and my petition is quite specifically targeted at attempting to get the Welsh government to look into situation about prescribed medication dependence and particularly antidepressants and to try and get them to recognise that there really is a problem. That problem isn't recognised one of the the issues that we have with the people being unable to hold these two truths if you like that drugs can help people some people and drugs can harm some people is that as soon as someone says that they believe that the drug is not working for them or doing them some harm the medical profession tend to locate the problem in the person and suggest that that person is abnormal in some way, that there's some sort of aberration going on, which leads those of us that this has happened to to feel deeply frustrated and deeply hurt by that. And what I want is this recognition to occur in the doctor's surgery or in the the psychiatrist's room, that they do see that, yes, if you are saying that this drug Um, is causing you some problems, we must look into that and not not believe that the person is the problem. Um, So recognition is very, very important at the early stages of the process, um, if people do decide that they wish to take an antidepressant. And then the other side that I'm looking for is the support for people who have already been harmed. There is one organization that's NHS uh, funded in the north of wales a prescribed medication support service and i'm campaigning to have that service made wales wide because it does it's been going for 20 years and does an amazing job
0: well it clearly highlights the problem doesn't it that this service exists and has been operating for some time but it's just such a shame that it's only in one part of wales
3: well, indeed, and we know from um, we know from our own campaigning and from social media that um, if you're not in South Wales, uh, if you're not in North Wales, that there is nowhere for um, doctors to send people for additional help, and they tend to have to go over into England to charities, for example, or um, people get pointed towards the drug misuse services, the substance misuse services, which um, most find very distasteful and inappropriate.
0: Yeah, understandably. Well, thank you, Stevie. I'm so pleased that someone is on the case with this, because as we know, there are many people out there suffering who would like to make a noise about this, but they may be too unwell to do that. So thank you for everything you've done to raise awareness in Wales and to get these issues on the table in front of members of the Welsh Assembly.
3: Well, thank you very much, James, and I couldn't do it without your help.
0: So I just wanted to thank Sammy, Peter and Stevie for talking with me today. And if you'd like to read the press release and the letter referred to, you can find a copy as a news update on maddenamerica.com. And please share this news update as widely as you can. So thanks so much for listening. And until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views and updates.